for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you're going to love this episode with Stella. She's such an expert in the area of learning. And I thought it was worth just flagging that I am back doing training personally. Generally, it's remote um, and I'm doing it custom for different uh, customers. But if you would like to work with me in a consultancy form or if you'd like to run some training in your business, then do get in touch because I am back on it in 2024. The sorts of subjects I'm running, I'm running my Change Superhero course, which has just got amazing feedback um, from a government organisation recently. And I love doing it, I have to say. I'm also enjoying working with the higher education sector, all about managing underperformance. And of course, there's good old people management. So if those are topics that you would like to do in some sort of hybrid training, uh, customised to the needs of your organisation, and you'd like to work with me personally, do get in touch, because I'm going to be running more of that in 2024. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and I'm really excited that I've got a special guest here today. This is somebody that I'd heard lots and lots about but never had the opportunity to meet so I'm really delighted that I've got Stella Collins here who's the co-founder and chief learning officer of Stella Labs. She also does way, way, way more than that. Um, she's a total expert in the topic that we're going to talk about, which is linking neuroscience and also linking into AI. But Stella, I think it's best if I hand to you um, just to give us a little bit of a feel for your background and how you end up in this space and your specialism. Well, hello, Lucinda, and thank you so much for inviting me to join your podcast today. It's uh, really nice to meet you too. Um, so... Actually, I'm in kind of the perfect space now. I uh, I started as a psychologist. I was studying psychology at university, which I absolutely loved. Um, and I was really interested in how the brain worked and kind of, you know, all the things that went around that. But when I left university, there were no jobs around in that kind of thing. And there were lots of jobs in IT. So I went into IT and worked very happily for many years as a programmer, coder. Um, but I kind of kept this interest in artificial intelligence because it was one of the things we studied at uni. And around the mid, uh, I suppose it was the early 90s now, actually, um, I got involved in um, expert systems, which were a way of a kind of an early form of, of work-based AI. Um, so I got really involved in them. And then at some point in my career, I kind of transitioned. We went to New Zealand for a few years. And when I came back, I transitioned into um, learning out of out of IT um, and found that this was, you know, this was really where I, I kind of really flourished. I met some great people, uh, had some fantastic experiences, um, set up a 
company, uh, Stellar Learning. Um, and then one thing led to another. I kind of did 20, 25 years doing that. And then four years ago, we set up a company called Stellar Labs uh, here in Belgium. So with a, a Belgian entrepreneur. And, and now we're kind of bringing, you know, kind of the science of learning, the neuroscience together with the AI um, and building a, a learning platform, which is just kind of, you know, fusing, fusing all my life's experiences together. It is interesting, isn't it? You were slightly ahead of your time then, I guess, in terms of being ready to do this. But now this is the right time for it, which is why I guess this topic is such an interesting one for us to have the benefit of your insight. Um, so, so, I mean, we're kind of talking about how you might mix AI and neuroscience, but I think let's go back to basics. And obviously this is our audience, our HR professionals, which includes learning and development professionals, but not all HR professionals are really confident in learning. Um, and I think... It's really helpful, particularly some of the ones that are in maybe smaller businesses and they're expected to know everything about everything vaguely HR. If we were going to talk about how people learn and particularly in the workplace, what would you say? So I think there's two obvious kind of basic categories. There's the formal learning that people take place in at work. And that's generally, you know, through courses. They, they might be sent out to do courses. They might be doing courses internally. Um, unfortunately, it's courses aren't as effective as they should be. And there's a really kind of a lot of evidence that shows that a lot of people don't transfer what they learn in the courses into the workplace as, as kind of, you know, applicable skills. Because what we're really looking for at work is that people can do their jobs better. That's also what people want. You know, they want to improve their skills so they can you know get better jobs or move up in the organization, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, we kind of know that transfer of, of learning into work is, is typically only at around 20%. And that seems to be fairly static, sadly, um, unless you do something about it. Um, and then the other way people learn at work is, is informally, um, which can be quite effective. You know, we all learn to do different things at work, but there's no measure. It's very hard to see how effective that is. And the informal work tends to happen through, you know, you kind of, you have a need, you get curious about something, you try something out, you practice it, you maybe get some support from a colleague, um, and you kind of repeat it until you kind of think, oh, yeah, I've got that. Um, but again, that can also be improved with, you know, support from relevant people, you know, like mentoring or coaching or even just, you know, really good feedback from somebody that you, you value. Um, more reflection really, really helps people because, you know, you can we often learn kind of quite unconsciously when we're not learning formally, we learn unconsciously. And actually, if we could make that process a bit more conscious, then we could reflect more and actually learn from the bits that were useful and kind of discard the bits that were perhaps less useful. So I think there's those two main distinctions as to whether people are learning formally or informally at work. I'd quite like to dig into some of those. I think there's quite a lot of um, interesting aspects there. I'm trying to think, but in terms of, I'm going to go with this one first in terms of, it, as we've progressed over the last sort of 20 years, so I'm thinking I was in a learning and development role 20 years ago in an organisation. It was quite typically um, training courses was the go to. Or that's what almost people's expectation was. Um, you had things like e-learning, which was your classic e-learning, which people would kind of wade through, whether it which wouldn't be that interactive. So that's how I kind of perceive it in big companies, as, as was then. And that was people's expectation. I see things have progressed. I see things like COVID have had an impact. Um, uh, and, and I think the whole thing about reflection is something maybe we look at separately as how we could, you know, get more reflection to take place. But with all those sort of my sort of sense of things that have changed, what would you, you've obviously got a much better sense of how things have changed and what the research says about it. 
So I think what's really changed most, and I think you're absolutely right, COVID had a massive effect. And I think the big change there is people have become much more accustomed to digital learning, whether that's e-learning or whether it's, you know, we're having a Zoom call now, you know, that's become much better. So I guess there's much more emphasis on blended learning now, you know, that we blend digital with some face-to-face, with some coaching. That's really changed. Um, I think what's also changed is, when I was first working with companies 20 years ago, they kind of had a catalogue that was set up for the year. It was mostly face-to-face or e-learning. It was kind of, they were either one or the other. They weren't and that's blended. blended. Blended then wasn't really digital. It was kind of, you go and do it on your own in e-learning or you do, it wasn't interactive like we can now do with no. systems like this. Absolutely not. And And it was like, you know, they had a course programme for the whole year. So if you wanted to learn communication skills, you had to wait until September because that's when the course was, regardless of whether you had the need now or or then. So there was this big challenge then of things were much more fixed in place and calendarized. Whereas now I think there's more flexibility. People can log into programs, you know, they can log into whatever platforms they've got and they've got access to stuff. I think one of the big challenges with that is there's now a huge emphasis on content Mm -hmm. and knowledge and not sufficient on actually skills and habit building so companies have these enormous lms's with you know just tons and tons of information a people can't find their way around them and then b they they participate i have a linkedin learning course and i every day i get you know comments you know congratulations you finished your linkedin learning course And I always ask people, I always comment and I say, and what are you going to do with what you've learned? Because just doing that kind of course won't change what you do. And I think that's where we really need to start being much, um, having much more emphasis is thinking about what do we need people to do and how can we support them in the workplace to do, to make those changes that they need to make. Yeah. So that whole, that whole transition thing, and that's kind of where I went to that question second, because I was thinking, going back to us as enablers of, of learning in an organisation, we, we can't be the person to do it for others. A lot of this then comes down to who is going to mentor or support you through that. And not every business has the, you know, is able to put people into mentoring coaching roles. So, again, maybe it comes back to the line manager. And do the line managers have the time, skill or inclination to coach their people in the area of learning or what have you learned and what you're going to do with that learning that's that's a, a sort of thing that occurs to me is I suppose if, if I was in an HR role now I mean and then this is the case everything comes down to the poor line manager if we're honest um you know what can we do to see if people are learning and to talk to them about it I mean are there any other other things that uh, you know great ideas that we could suggest to to people as to how to encourage that reflection and encourage that um transfer of that knowledge so I think for me, one of the things that we, we should be doing as, as L&D or, you know, as, as businesses, as organizations, HR, wherever we are in that role, is actually helping people understand how learning works, because there are so many myths that abound out there. And people do still think, well, if I go on a course, you know, then I'll come back and I'll be a new me. Um, and there's plenty of people selling courses like that. Um, so I think it's about enabling our our people to actually understand how learning works and recognize that, you know, what I need is a new, so there's something around asking them the right questions. You know, what I need is a skill. And in order to get a skill, I need to be able to, to do stuff. I need to practice. I need to experiment. And 
unfortunately, line managers really are still incredibly key, incredibly important, because they're the person who has the most influence over what do you do in your daily work. They observe you do your daily work, usually. Um, and, and they are the ones who, you know, given coach sufficient, you know, skills and time, I think that's the biggest challenge is, is the time. Yeah. One of the things we're doing with our platform is supporting line managers to support learners so that they're actually uh, nudged and prompted so that they're not having to think all the time, oh, my goodness, you know, has Lucinda done that course? I must ask her about it. You know, I must check in with her. But actually, they're prompted at kind of the right time, a relevant time to ask you a question. But they're also prompted with some of the coaching questions that would help. So I think, you know, if you're a, a line manager who perhaps hasn't had a coaching skill or hasn't been trained on coaching, yeah. If you're given, you know, like a, a checklist almost of, you know, here's some good questions to ask Lucinda about that program she's working through and don't wait until the end. Ask her now while she's, you know, while she's excited about it and starting, ask her some questions. Well, she maybe gets stuck a little bit, you know, maybe here's some more things you can do. Um, and as you see her start to implement those new behaviors and practices into the workplace, that's when you really need to start giving, you know, feedback we call it feed forward actually we try and work more on feed yeah. forward than feedback um so i think line managers are always going to remain vital but also how can you use peers to support you i think there's you know there's other people in the business it doesn't need to be a line manager but you do need somebody to kind of check in and you feel responsible for it's, it, and it's that kind of enabling that active reflection or to reflect with the help of someone it, it, one of the things that occurs to me and and this is the challenge is if we go back to the 20 years ago question it was quite passive we used to think about people talk about sheep dip training but people come and say oh why are you on a training course because i was sent it was very yeah. much kind of seen as um not their responsibility to learn and now really people this whole you say you can take on the knowledge but it, a lot of it comes down to how willing people are to take that on and see the value of it. Um, and I suppose you, one of the things you said was helping to explain how learning works or train people. How would you simply explain that to someone who, who to, to get that point across? Because I imagine that some of that is that you've got to take some responsibility for this or you've got to, to reflect. Absolutely, you as the learner. I mean, for me, learning is, is kind of, it's, there's three people or three factors responsible. One is you, the learner. Uh, one is the design of the learning and possibly L&D's role. And then there's the role of the organization who supports you to actually implement their learning. So all those three kind of pieces are required. Um, but as far as the learners, it is your responsibility because it's your brain that's going to change. It doesn't matter how fantastic the training is, how supportive your manager is. If you don't have a need or a requirement or you can't see the point, you will not put the effort into changing your brain and your and your body, your physical um, changes to actually build new habits, do new things. So as a learner, you need to be responsible for that. But you need to kind of be aware that that's how it happens. And, you know, I think in the past, we very much focused on sending people on courses and they'll come back. Yeah. Magically changed. Yeah. It's not magic. It's science. Yes. Now that's great segue into neuroscience. And again, I'm thinking when I did psychology, they talked about Kolb's learning cycle. And I'm not even sure. I know certain things like learning styles are discredited and things now. Is that case? I'm thinking shaking your head. Do you want to tell me a bit about what is seen as the right science there and then how this links into, I guess, proven through your knowledge of neuroscience? So there's, you know, there's huge amounts of science around learning and the science of learning has always been there. And of course, it keeps evolving all the time. So neuroscience is a part of that. That's, you know, how our brain actually learns. 
I actually think if everybody had some knowledge about how their brains learn, and actually people do have knowledge about how their brains learn, they have some intrinsic knowledge of how their brains learn. One of the questions I often ask people is, how did you learn to ride a bike? And, you know, they could quite easily describe the process of learning to ride a bike, which A, takes time. You can't learn to ride a bike in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and they can quite easily describe that process. And actually, that process is pretty much the same for any skill we're learning. And even with knowledge, it's still you still need that process of, you know, taking time, practice, coming back to it again, recalling it. But somebody else can't learn to ride a bike for you. Yeah. Only you can learn to ride a bike. So using the science, using the kind of practical ex, practical examples like that to explore the science and see what's the science of that. And my experience has been that most people are really interested to learn about their brains. They're really interested to kind of think about, well, how do I, how do I function? How do I behave? Um, so beginning to explain to them that, you know, all learning starts with a need. We, we don't learn something unless we've got a need. So you need to feel motivated. Um, we have a particular model. So I'll, I'll give you the model because I think it helps to have something yeah. to tag something onto. So the first thing is, A, a you, need to, you have a need to want to be able to do something or to do something differently. So that's the kind of the transfer goal. What are you aiming for? You need to feel motivated throughout the learning journey or the learning process because learning is quite hard work. You're going to make a lot of changes, physical changes in your brain that use a lot of energy. So you need to be motivated throughout. And learning sometimes, you know, you get stuck. If you're practicing, you can think, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, I'm getting things wrong. So you need to keep, mo so motivation is really important to maintaining motivation, which is why, you know, support. Sometimes really you get important. worse at things, don't you? Or find it really hard to go through a bit of a dip in, in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely, you, you can get worse and then you, time so and you can hit a plateau, yeah. all those things. Um, and then what you need is some kind of guidance or experience. So maybe it's some information or an experience of something, you know, that, that's kind of at the right level for where you are. So one of the challenges in, in training is often that you get an expert teaching you who's already, you know, 25, 25 years maybe ahead of you. And they tell you everything they know, as opposed to what do I need to know or what do I need to be able to do to just do this job that I want yeah, to do? So, right now. yeah breaking it down into the right kind of level of, of guided information, guided support. Um, and then you need an opportunity to experiment with that new experience, that new information. You need to be able to practice in a safe place. You need to kind of test it out. You need to ask it questions. You need to kind of build into what do I already know? What can I already do so that it starts to make sense in your in your brain basically so there's that experiment piece kind of hypothesizing testing practicing getting feedback but still in that safe environment then what you want is to start applying it in the real world so this is where you're starting to shift from whether it's formal or informal you're actually starting to put it into practice in your real role um, and that's where you know a manager can be incredibly supportive because they can see you do something they can validate that you've seen you've done something they can give you feedback and say, look, you know, you did this piece of it really well. And in order to get better, this is what you need to keep on practicing. And you need to keep practicing over and over again until, you know, you're beginning to build a habit. And then the final piece of our model is, is the retain piece, which again is more practice, but also almost every um, skill you learn has some kind of level of knowledge as well. So how do you retain the knowledge, the new knowledge you need in order to be able to you know, practice or use the new skill. 
And that's where, you know, all the evidence shows that spaced practice and spaced repetition are really important. So you don't want to cram information. You need to spread it across yeah. time. For it be long term, so I say it's long term memory and that kind of being able to, to use it for real. And, Indeed. and I mean, that's where you can see that the sort of classic going on a course for a day to learn something doesn't isn't really going to work because you, you get too much. And really what you want is a little bit and go and practice it and then a little bit and then go and practice it. Absolutely. I, there was one course I did years ago I used to train on and actually it was quite effective as a it was a presentation skills course and it was a two-day course but what you did was it broke it did literally get people up for 30 seconds teach them a, a minuscule little bit of skill which they then get up and practice that and it, there were about eight um progressions and you still would need to go off and, and progress it afterwards but you were able to kind of go through that cycle a number of times on a course when you were together with somebody as opposed to tell someone all the content and then expect them yeah. to know how to kind of go and practice it where and when yeah which is yeah. really tricky uh, we all have that ability to to you know when you're being told something you recognize it you, you feel confident yeah 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 I I know that I yeah but actually when we test us testing is a really important part of learning yes um, because when you test yourself you think that thing that I thought I knew either I knew the knowledge or I knew how to do actually I really don't oh no I realized I haven't you know I haven't captured it yet so I need to go back and revisit it so there's lots of revisiting lots of testing and the more you test mm. the better and, and it's not a trainer sometimes you get trainers repeating information to you you need to do the repeating you need to recall because that's the way our memories work and interesting I think kids so my son's doing A-levels and he's got this flashcards app which seems quite I think it just yeah. may tie into what you're saying about neuroscience because he has to write the questions and then it sort of tests you whether you know the fact or not and if you know it then it tests you a month's time or you know if you yes. don't know it, you get it in a week's time so yeah. it's kind of doing that spaced repetition for you which yes is effective. which is which is where tech is so useful so our platform yeah. does exactly the same it uses what's called the Leitner method which is you know a flashcard type activity and you're tested tested 24 hours after you've learned something two days four days and it just goes up until really? you know you've got it and then you can say okay they that is in their long-term memory now so that's knowledge though again so you say so, so that with the knowledge how do you then layer on skills does that so skills is similar again you know you need time to practice and to reflect on that practice and to refine the practice sleep is also you know one of the reasons that this space repetition works is because when we sleep our brain actively consolidates both knowledge and skills. So sleeping is really important for your brain to kind of take what it's kind of absorbed during the day and work with it and then kind of fit it back into the right places and connect it with what you already, you know, what you can already, what you already know or can do. So that's why this spacing of, of practice and repetition is so, so important because it's, it's literally enabling your neurons to make strong connections. So, and that is, I suppose, you're saying then this is your neuroscience piece in terms of, of this, that we have to revisit. How, how does this kind of, I'm not sure whether everything we've talked about was all neuroscience, but how does this fit into neuroscience speak, if you like, what we're talking about? Because it feels very sensible, common sense, learning with a spaced learning, um, doing reflection. Is that really what neuroscience is without us being blown away by the title? Or is there something more <laughs> sciencey that we should know? I mean, I mean, the neuroscience is much more complex because it's looking at it at a kind of, you know, a biological level, a physiological level. You know, what's the electrical connections that are going on? What are the chemical connections that are going on in individual neurons or networks of neurons in your brain? You don't necessarily need to know it at that level, 
But it's really useful to know that A, your brains are neuroplastic, so they can make changes. You know, we, we can change. I think that's, you know, a, a big change from even when I was first sort of studying psychology, you know, it was kind of a bit believed that your brain couldn't change very much. I don't know how we ever thought we learned when we didn't think our brain was changed, but anyway. Um, so there's the fact that, you know, neuroplasticity is important. But I think the other thing that's really important is that our brains are really energy hungry. And so learning is actually a demanding activity. It uses energy, therefore, you know, you're going to feel tired after you've learned something. So if you kind of, at the end of the day, your brain feels kind of like, whoa, I've done a really, mm. almost like, you know, your body's done a workout. Then actually that's probably been, been a good thing. So long as you sleep afterwards to help it recover and to help create these memories. Yeah, mentally exhausted. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically that is based on neuroscience. We don't need to know the neurons of it, but basically your model is probably quite helpful for people because in terms of making sure people have got the need or wants, I suppose they need to know why it's relevant or why they need yes. to do it. They yes. need some support to keep them motivated. And yeah. perhaps particularly when it gets tough, there's something about making sure that they get the information when they need it. So some of these things where we talk about LXPs and things like that, if you can get that inf the right information at the right level at the right time that's yeah. ideal um in terms of that and then they need to be able to put it into practice and use it apply it in the real world to so practice in a safe environment if it's something you know that you need to or just be able to put it into practice and then use it again in terms of long-term practice so that's that's what we need people to understand how to learn um in, a, in the environments that we're in so we, we as L&D or HR professionals might want to help people understand the why. So whether it's for their career development or whether it's, this is a key part of your job, this is what you need to do. Make sure they've got some support systems if we can in place as well. And then access in whatever way we can to the information people need at the right level and get those opportunities to practice and recognise it. And you've just done a really great example there of learning because I've told you something and you've repeated it back in your own words and you're making sense of it for yourself. That's a really good example of the the sort of the experimenting part of practicing yes and, that, and that's interesting for me I know that I have to I have to do I have to do something with it or I have to talk about it I have to, in some way if I just hear stuff I haven't really got it so I had to write it down and then practice about it and then I went yeah okay I can get that that's my first stage for for, for me with something like that I do think flash so that's what I mean when I say people do kind of know how they learn it's just we don't always we don't always put it into practice. And I think particularly when it comes to formal learning, we kind of just expect that it's being done for us, though it's often being done to us rather than for us. Yes. We need to put that effort in ourselves. Yes. And I suppose also as trainers or deliverers, deliverers one of the things all of us um, might be doing webinars and things like that, we can do something which is just a data dump, which people, even if they're not doing their emails in the background, or we can try and use technology to make sure that people feel they've got to actually work a little bit for it um, yeah. and vaguely process it. I think I think that's the most important thing you can think about learning, that learning is work. It's enjoyable work because, it, you know, you, you get something at the end of it, but it is work. And if you don't feel that you've struggled, you probably haven't learned anything. There's something called desirable difficulty. And, you know, if something is too easy, it probably isn't going to stick. Yes, yes. You won't even try to learn it. So... Yeah. So that's our kind of neuroscience piece and talking about how people learn. And then if we're melding this with AI, which, um, and again, I don't, maybe you've already given us an example of it in terms of how your system works. How does AI come into this? So for me, the distinction is neuroscience is really good for making sure that the learning you do is effective. 
that by the end of it, you know, you will have learned to do something new. You'll have a new skill or a new habit. Where the AI comes in, it can help you be more efficient in that. So it can help L&D or HR be more efficient because it can um, it can really help you create content quickly, which is a big challenge because a lot of people are just stopping there. So they're using AI just to create content, but it can create content. Still needs to be validated by human because AI isn't isn't actually intelligent. <laughs> so it can't tell that um, those two words that I'm not going to put together, one that ends in ing and one that ends in aisles, I'm not going to put them together because if AI hears them, it'll connect them. Um, so, so the AI can help by, you know, creating content. It can suggest behaviors. So you can ask AI, you know, what behaviors, if I wanted to, to uh, have the skill of negotiation, what behaviors could I be expected to demonstrate as a, as a, you know, a skilled negotiator? So it can really help you kind of identify behaviors. And that's one of the things we specifically do in our, in our platform is to identify the behaviors because behaviors are so much more important than content. Um, it can personalize a journey for a learner so it can look at you know what can this learner already do what's already been validated so that if the learner says well I can already or can actually demonstrate that they can do a particular behavior then they don't need to learn that part of the journey so it can take them on you know a different route so it can start to personalize much more effectively that's like your efficiency thing I'm guessing is that's big so that's definitely the efficiency yeah, yeah you're not wasting time Yes. And then yeah, also yeah. you're going to be more motivated because it's more, you know, you're not being told stuff at the wrong level, I guess, too. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than hearing something you already, well, not hearing something, but, you know, being taught something you can already do quite yes. competently. Yes. Um, I many stories on that. Um, it can it can help you create other activities. So it can also support, you know, I think I said that, you know, our platform enables uh, supporting managers so that it can support relevant activities in the workplace. So the AI can suggest not just content, but based on that content, what would be a good activity for this person to do? What would be good spaced repetition questions for this person? And the AI can then obviously deliver those spaced repetition questions at a relevant time. So if we talk about kind of efficiency and effectiveness, when I was um, training 10 years ago, I used to always put space repetition questions into all my training. Well, I've always done it. But what I used to have to do was write all the space repetition questions myself, then put them all into emails that I then had to, um, you know, kind of calendarize. Yes. And then they went out, which was, you know, semi-automated. That was better yeah. than me having to write them an email every other day. But then I had no idea whether they were actually reading them, whether <laughs> yeah. they were answering them. Whereas the AI now, if you've got it all programmed in you can actually track so are people answering the questions are they getting them right you can actually measure so ai is also really val valuable for help i mean tech generally is helpful for helping you measure and track but the ai can also help you sort of identify you know where are the where where are people getting stuck you know are, are there places where they're getting stuck that they might need more support the ai can then flag that and then call for help for whoever it might or the AI can help itself you know with bots and things the AI can say you know Lucinda I think you seem a bit stuck you know what would help you and even sometimes just that reflection can help a learner I mean so it is you can see how that it would be or is really useful in terms of 
um, as as learners being able to basically hold us accountable. So it's useful for the learner because they're going, oh, okay. If I don't answer, if I don't reopen an email, no one really knows. There's no consequence. There's a consequence, and it's visible that you have or haven't tried to answer it. But it's also useful. So that's useful for my accountability. But it's also useful for us as kind of creating the content um, as to how effective bits of it are. If people get yeah. stuck on them, and I suppose overall as a business, it is a way of measuring. You're getting more of a measure. Yes, absolutely. In principle. Yeah, yeah. You can see have people progress through a journey. You know, typically with you know old-fashioned face-to-face courses or online digital courses. Now we tend to ask at the end, uh, "Did you enjoy the training?" Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you enjoy it or not. That's actually not a measure of learning at all. Uh, you know, was there a nice lunch? All those things. Are, was yeah. the trainer nice? All yeah. those things actually aren't measures of learning. Yeah. But if you can actually track that people can recall the information they need and can do the activities that they're expected to do and you can see that throughout the journey you can see that progress that makes it much more visible to everybody and also we know that progress motivates people so if you can see you're making progress oh you know I couldn't do that last week I can do this week that's also adds to the motivation too Yes, it's interesting. I won't. Well, I was going to. To what extent do you think you need to gamify? There's so much jargon, isn't there? I mean, I mean my head keeps going to Geolingo. Actually, my husband's really into it. But some of those, which I think, you know, does a lot of these things. And you've got the games, and you've got the league, and you can't drop out of it, um, or or you completely absent yourself from it because you get annoyed with it, which is my position. But um, what, what's what do you see your position in terms of? There's this AI piece and there's gamification. How necessary is that? Because I suppose if, if we talk about how do we practically do this um, as professionals in an organisation? So I am not a strong believer in gamification. I think it works for some people. And I think, as with many things, giving people the choice. So I know I also do Duolingo. Um, you know, giving people the choice to, you know, match themselves against other people, to have badges and things for some people that really works for some people it's just a complete turn off and doesn't help them at all so the gamification works for some and not others so I think it's a case of having the option to use the gamification or not I don't think good learning doesn't need gamification good gamification can sometimes help with learning and would it fit into more of the efficiency or the effectiveness bit? I'm wondering, or maybe um, game. It depends what you're doing with the games. Yeah. Um, it can fit into both because if you're obviously getting people to play games where they're actively practicing the skill, that will help with effectiveness. Yes. And if and and it's the automation. I think it's the automation rather than the gamification, the, tech, the technology yeah. aspect. The technology taking out that the means aspect. that you haven't got to have somebody else doing it. You know, the automation is helping. So I suppose then, to, sort of linking this back to the average person who may well be an HR department of one, so they haven't got time to to invest. Because in, in, a lot of this feels like you need to have the expertise, possibly, to create the learning content or it's very expensive if you've got to buy the learning content so you might not have resources. What practical things would you suggest to um, people, I suppose, in, in, in smaller, because we've got a lot of people who are listen who are in smaller businesses, and so it all sits on them. What top tips have you got uh, if people want to try and introduce some of this in? <laughs> at the risk of, of selling myself and our business, um, you know, have a look at our platform. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, have a look at our platform because it will help you to do all that. And you don't need to be an expert. You need you need to be able to validate what the AI 
generates, but you don't need to be an expert in doing it. And it also creates learning based on that those principles I've just talked about. So you, do, you don't need to be an expert. It can do it for you. So one of our target audiences is kind of subject matter experts who have a slight tendency to tell you too much and not, not give you the practice stuff. It will help subject matter experts to build programs that are actually much more effective and efficient. Um, but if you're not going to, you know, access, or even if you are, you know, I, I think using tech, look at what tech yeah. can support you, but always check, is that tech just helping you with efficiency? Because AI can help you be highly, highly efficient at producing rubbish. So yeah. you do need to think about, you know, what's the effectiveness we're looking at? What are we actually trying to achieve? And is that tech? helping us achieve it. So when you're looking at um, one of the things I always say to our sort of people, people I kind of do learning audits and things for is, you know, check with your tech supplier, what's their views on learning? And if they're just talking all about content, then you might want to say to them, but how do you go beyond the content yes. to actually supporting learning in the workplace? Because that's what we're aiming for. We're looking at people to do their jobs, to, you know, to be able to perform better, to be able to perform faster. I was just talking to a client earlier on, you know, they need people onboarded really, really quickly. How can we support that? And I think also recognize that learning just isn't magic. You can't onboard people faster than their brains can actually process stuff. I kind of, our brains are almost the, the slowing factor. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, probably a different topic for another day, but the a lot of people that we work with would have, oh, well, we've got XYZ large supplier of, of and a catalog of, 40 or 50 courses but it would in terms of what they would probably be doing is is monitoring completion of it um and so you would want to see you know is there ongoing testing is, is there stuff beyond this that this yes. platform or provider can offer which going yeah, back yeah. to say it's space learning um or you know is there a report to the manager or is there something we can do that's actually giving us greater um yeah. greater impact of the effectiveness of this content yeah. Yeah. And I think getting those managers involved, you know, right at the start to ask the manager, what do you want this person to do? How are you going to support this person to achieve their aims? Because just doing an e-learning course or, you know, whether it's link, you know, whatever it is on these these platforms, that's not going to help them achieve. It's not going to help them achieve what you want them to be able to do. And also, if they spend the time on this training that's going to be ineffective, they've also wasted their time. Yeah. And you, and the time that you could have had them actually practicing something. That's why I think things like apprenticeships are so good because you're learning on the job. Yeah. Yeah, for real. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as long as you get the right support, of course. Of course. Of course. Yes, it's, <laughs> it comes back to that all the time. I think it's that I said earlier on, it's that kind of trilogy between, you know, the learner, the support they're getting from, you know, managers, organization, mm. L&D, whoever it may be, and the design of the learning itself or even if it's informal, it's not designed, then you as a learner have to be more conscious about what are you making your own design effectively? Yes. How are you going through that learning journey? I think it's it's um, it's one of those things to worth, it's very thought provoking is what I would suggest. I think if you look about how things have always been done in organisations, my message to people listening to this would be, 
are we actually getting value from it? Because quite often there's huge amounts of money being spent on really traditional things, but it's not actually doing anything. And is it, is it time for a rethink? Is it time for some fresh thinking? And I, and I think certainly that's where, um, I guess, Stella, just obviously we'll put your details in the show notes, but if they follow Stella on LinkedIn, read some of the stuff that you put out. Um, but if people want to contact you, Stella, to find out more about what it is you offer, that certainly is another way of doing things. It's a different way of looking at um, traditional learning, isn't it? And and more evidence-based. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, what's really important is that there's lots of things in traditional learning that are effective and useful, you know, coming together socially, learning from other people, that's really good, but it's just not enough. Yes. It needs to be, you, know, you need to have all the elements in place in order to have effective learning. I think, you know, keep going back to that, how did I learn to ride a bike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that yes, yeah. completely. Wonderful. Um, Stella, do you want to just share your um, website details for people who are listening and wondering right now? So, and obviously we'll put them in the show notes, but if you want to just... Yeah, yeah. So it's www.stellarlabs, S-T-E-L-L-A-R, labs.io. Uh, Brilliant. Um, and you're available on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Yes, yes. Lots of other places. Brilliant. Uh, thank you so much. I find that a really very interesting conversation, really thought-provoking one for early in 2024. So hopefully lots of people can think about how they can do more about people's development and learning in their organisation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lucinda. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.